0: Gentlemen, thank you. And again, as we present the final session, I want to thank you so much for your kindness and your love and your wonderful hospitality and having me here. This has been such a great honor. Thank you for having me as a part of this retreat. It's been absolutely phenomenal. And what a good time it's been. And I know you'll continue to have a great time this afternoon. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. O Lord, who has taught us that all our doings without charity are nothing worth, send thy Holy Ghost, and pour into our hearts the most excellent gift of charity, the very bond of peace and of all virtues, without which whosoever liveth is counted dead before thee. Grant this for thine only Son, Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Let's talk a little bit now about the other theological virtues and how they relate to our lives. We said in the beginning that the theological virtue of faith gives us the power of God from God to believe in God. Now, the early fathers of the church said that faith takes two forms. There is the faith we believe and the faith by which we believe. The faith we believe is the content of divine revelation, which is inscripturated. We find that supremely in Holy Writ, in the Holy Scriptures. It is also found in the tradition of the Catholic and Apostolic Church. And it's found in the consensus of the undivided Church of the first millennium and in the seven ecumenical councils, which are not inspired by God in the way that Holy Scripture is, But the seven ecumenical councils do possess the charism of indefectibility and theological infallibility. So, we do believe that the seven ecumenical councils are God's stamp of approval on the church's teaching and have received the guidance and direction of the Holy Ghost. So, the faith we believe is the content of what we believe, it is what we read in Holy Scripture, it is the gospel as a body of truth revealed by God, also known as the deposit of faith. This was given by Christ to the twelve apostles and handed down in the church in an unbroken way to the present day. So that we have apostolic succession of order in the priesthood, we have apostolic succession of sanctity in the life of grace and holiness, and we have the apostolic succession of faith which is this transmission of the saving gospel through the apostles who are ordained to safeguard and teach this gospel. So that is the faith we believe. The faith by which we believe is the theological virtue of faith in which we trust God, we believe in God, we take him at his word, and we believe what God says to us about himself. As St. Thomas Aquinas said, Faith is God speaking first. It is God speaking truth. And that is faith. God speaking truth, God speaking first in our souls, hearts, and minds, leading us to embrace what God is, who God is, and what he has revealed about himself. That is why faith is the first virtue, and without faith as the first virtue hope and love will not be able to come forward. Love is the bond of peace and of all virtues, but it is justification by faith that introduces us to the life of grace. So faith gives us the power to take God's truth and to believe it and to live it and to embrace what God says about himself and to trust God to trust God, a full ascent of the heart, mind, the will, the soul, the being, to trust God with all of ourselves in love. Trusting God in love, that is the theological virtue of faith. The theological virtue of hope is the, is the cure to the problem of worrying about one's salvation. It is confidence in God that God will keep his promises and bring us to the fulfillment of what he desires for us and what he has promised for us. You will think, perhaps when you were a child, you might think of the three symbols of the theological virtues. The symbol of faith is the cross because Christ won faith for us on the cross and it is faith in the cross that brings us to salvation. The symbol of hope is the anchor It anchors us in God. It establishes us in God. It is the anchor that roots us and grounds us in God so that we have confidence, a firm assurance that God will do what he says he's going to do. In evangelical circles, they talk about once saved, always saved, which is actually Calvinism and the idea of irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. This idea that because one is elect and one doesn't really have a free will, uh, God is just going to save you, and that's once saved, always saved. Well, the Catholic answer to that is the theological virtue of hope. We have confidence that God will bring about what he says he will do for us, and there's no room for despair. Remember, Assyria's final result is despair, meaninglessness, hopelessness, The belief that there is nothing of any value or meaning, and life is without any purpose or significance. The antidote to that result of acedia is the theological virtue of hope, which has an eschatological dimension to it. It is always referring us to the future. We can, in the words of the famous book, abandon ourselves to the divine providence, The divine providence of God through the theological virtue of hope is ascertained as good. God in his providence loves us, cares for us, will guide and direct us and bring us to the fulfillment of his purpose. He is the God who keeps his promises. The theological virtue of hope lays hold on that, trusts it, has confidence in it, has assurance in it, and doesn't let go of the promises of our Heavenly Father. So the symbol of hope is the anchor. It anchors us. It grounds us. It gives us, aha, stability. Now you can see how the theological virtues relate to asidia. Faith moves us out of ourselves towards God, to trust God and to love God, knowing that he is the truth. So that moves us out of the selfishness. Hope moves us away from despair and moves us away from the sense of banality, the sense of an almost uh, fatalism or determinism. No, the theological virtue of hope is an eschatological promise of our own glorification, our resurrection in Christ, the fulfillment of all things in Christ, so that God will be all in all or as E.L. Maskell once preached, I know all of you know E.L. Maskell because your rector is an expert in E.L. Maskell. E.L. Maskell said, the theological virtue of hope is Amen and Alleluia. That's the theological virtue of hope. God is going to bring us to Amen and Alleluia when all things will be fulfilled in Christ. So as we persevere through life, The theological virtue of hope is that which gives us the power to move forward, to continue to persevere, and to place our confidence in God, and not to doubt that God loves us and that he has a plan for our future, a providence for us. That's the theological virtue of hope. Now, the theological virtue of charity is the most important of the three, and I'm going to use a few notes to describe this using St. Augustine to describe what charity is all about. But let's make this point too. I had a wonderful conversation in the break about how do the cardinal virtues relate to the theological virtues? And what about those before Christ, like Abraham? Did they have the theological virtues? Well, in Abraham's case, yes, he did because he was justified by faith He believed and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. God gave him faith. And hope and love were obviously operative before the coming of Christ in, we might say, an extraordinary way, whereas now they are given in a sacramental way. But think of the Old Testament church, the Old Testament community, as Christianity before Christ. They are members of the church too, and God, from the call of Abraham forward, equipped his people with the necessary theological virtues to move towards God. The cardinal virtues for a Christian must be subsumed and guided and controlled by the theological virtues. Cardinal virtues are great. They're natural, not supernatural. The theological virtues are supernatural. They come from God and they are above nature. Remember the great patristic axiom, grace perfects nature. Grace does not destroy nature, grace perfects nature. Grace lifts up nature and exalts it to a higher place to participate in God. So the cardinal virtues must be directed and understood as controlled by the theological virtues in our own soul. So justice and prudence and fortitude, uh, these virtues, uh, courage and, and uh, you know, moderation, these, these cardinal virtues have to be controlled, monitored, brought under subjection to the Holy Spirit. It's just like the whole rest of the Christian life. Everything in the Christian life has to be brought under subjection to the Holy Spirit. That is what we do, for example, in Lent. And why we pray, we fast, and we give alms, we do that because in doing so, we subject the body and the mind and the will to the gracious, sovereign control and influence of the Holy Spirit. So the cardinal virtues, standing alone, will not produce in us the same effect as the theological virtues do. And the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love are given to us so that the cardinal natural virtues can be moved in a supernatural direction. This is how we become saints. This is how we become saints. The cardinal virtues, which we must practice, are brought into a relationship with God through the theological virtues. Each one of us is a temple of the Holy Trinity, And the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost indwell us by virtue of these virtues. So you can see how ascidia can be smashed when we're moving beyond ourselves and we're moving into the communion of the Holy Trinity because of the theological virtues. They should be allowed to take over, let faith, hope, and love take over so that when we get to heaven and everything else is purified, we're still there, right? Again, only that which is faith, hope, and love is going to survive and remain in the kingdom inside of us. So we want faith, hope, and love to take over and begin to transform and to sanctify and to lead and guide and direct our hearts and our wills. Now, let's say just a few things about the theological virtue of charity. Now, charity, we typically just call love, but it's a special kind of love, isn't it? Caritas, agape, this unconditional love, is at the very heart of the Christian life and the church. Charity should not be confused with the sacraments themselves or with outward visible acts of our holy religion. Charity, in its essence, is interior to the person and is then reflected in charitable action. People may approach the altar and receive the Eucharist, But they can only be called Christian to the extent that they truly act there at the altar and act in the world out of love. Charity alone guarantees living the good life. Ascidia says that living the good life is living large. As a lot of hip hop music puts it, living large. Well, no, it's not living large. It's living the good life, and the good life comes From charity. The mode of life demonstrated by the theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity, or the lack of those, shows what a person truly is or is not. So the theological virtues, and in particular charity, is the measure of the man. Whether or not we have them, or if we do have them, that shows us who we really are. If we do live in faith, hope, and love, that shows the kind of person we are on the inside. If we lack those, then it shows that we are a different kind of person. Charity is inclination. It is movement. It is striving. It is striving. Love becomes concrete by the object which is loved. The Christian life must be a genuine charity practiced in good works and lived out visibly. Now, typically, we say very succinctly that charity is the love of God for his own sake and the love of others for the sake of God. A very easy, simple definition, but yet it is the most profound of the virtues and the most important. It is to love God solely for the sake of God himself. We love God. And we love him because he is. We don't love him because of what we get. We don't love him because of what we hope to avoid. We love him because he is love itself. He is the ultimate object of our love, for he is love itself. And charity loves for the sake of the one who loves us. God is love. Now, you've probably heard this in many Trinity Sunday sermons, but the phrase of St. John in his first epistle, God is love, is essential to the nature of God because love is at the very heart of God. Love is in the essence of God, in his very ontology, his very being, because God is the Holy Trinity. Three divine persons in one essence. God is a divine communion of persons giving and receiving love forever and ever and ever and ever. The Father loves the Son and the Spirit. The Son loves the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father and the Son. As St. Augustine says, the Father is the lover, the Son is the beloved, and the bond of love between the two of them is the Holy Spirit. That's St. Augustine's classic definition of the Holy Trinity. So God is love because God is Trinity. God is not a monad. And God is not like a family. God, in an ontological sense, is a family. He's three distinct persons in one being, one essence, giving and receiving love. And the virtue of charity sweeps us into this love affair of the Trinity. We are swept into the love of God by the theological virtue of charity. We take upon ourselves and we receive by theological charity the love of the Son for the Father. And we are adopted as the sons of God. And we, made children by adoption and grace, possess the divine sonship of Jesus Christ himself, so that by theological charity, we in Christ love the Father and are gathered unto the Father by the Holy Spirit. It's a Trinitarian act, and therefore always an act of love. Charity is this action of love. The outward sacramental signs of our Christian faith Are necessary to salvation, but they are not automatic guarantees of charity or holiness. Charity, conveyed as grace in the soul, must be cooperated with and exercised in a tangible way. Charity is the force of the soul. It is the source of life. It is what empowers, it's what moves the soul towards God. The end of all the theological virtues is God. Faith, hope, and love are directed towards God. Now, they have a byproduct, don't they? If we have faith, hope, and love in God, we're going to treat our wife, our children, our co-workers in a better way. We're going to have happier relationships with one another. We're going to strive to serve and help those in need, those who are poor and less fortunate. We're going to give of ourselves in love for the sake of other people. But the theological virtues have as their telos as their fulfillment, their purpose, God himself. God is the end of these virtues. Charity is that force of the soul that moves us towards God. Love is the basis of our life. Charity determines what kind of life we will live, whether good or evil. Charity is a matter of the will. It is the gift of God which helps us then to move our will towards god saint augustine writes charity which you have been given surpasses all things charity surpasses all things the more we desire charity the more it increases in our life and our soul now saint augustine tells us very simply what it what it is what is charity Wherefore, whoso names the Father and the Son ought thereby to understand the mutual love of the Father and the Son, which is the Holy Spirit. the Holy Spirit is charity, and do not count charity a cheap thing. How indeed can it be cheap when all things that are said to be are said to not be cheap are called dear, therefore what is not cheap is dear. And what is dearer than dearness itself? Caritas. Caritas, charity, is the dearest of all things, the greatest of all gifts. So charity is God himself, present in his own virtue of love, living in us. It is the Holy Ghost, the third person of the Blessed Trinity, the love of the Father and the Son, who is charity himself. The Holy Ghost imparts his life, his charity, unites the church as the body of Christ in the Trinitarian communion of love. The Spirit effects the union of the church as a body with its divine head and with its members as the body of Christ is jointly united to the Father and the Spirit in the Lord Jesus. So charity is a Trinitarian reality. It is a Trinitarian encounter and experience. We therefore have the Holy Spirit if we love the church, but we love the church if we stand firm in its unity and charity. Before all great things, the Apostle Paul has put charity. Have charity, and you shall have it all. Without charity, whatever you have will profit nothing. The charity of which we speak, is the Holy Spirit, writes St. Augustine again. So the Holy Ghost is the source and bond of all the virtues, himself being charity, and charity by its very nature is ecclesiastical. The Holy Spirit appropriates and translates his love into the church, which is the home of the Holy Spirit. There is a communio ecclesiae, A communion of the church, bound together as one living body by the Eucharist, which is the sacrament of the Lord's body and therefore the sacrament of charity par excellence. The Eucharist is the sacrament of charity, as baptism is the sacrament of faith. So, charity is in the essence of God's being, incomprehensible, immutable loving all creation, we are loved as members of Jesus Christ by the Father in the Spirit. Charity comes from God to us, for God loves us first. But as God's gift to us, charity, or agape, is the means by which Christ loves the church. He endows the church with this distinctive particular gift of the Spirit. By charity, God sets apart the church and his saints from the world. And the ultimate effect of charity is obedience to God. If we genuinely love God, we will genuinely love, serve, and obey him. So this is critical. It leads us to the fruit of obedience. Charity is the source of unity and brotherhood in the church. It is given to us for God's sake that we may love God and that we may be united with believers in the Spirit and love all human beings as the image and likeness of God. So to summarize, we can say that charity is the bond of the Trinity himself. And as such, we are united to Christ, the new man, and we are sustained by him, loving one another as we enter into the love of God. Charity is the inner heart and life of God himself, the Trinitarian unity, as the Holy Spirit is conveyed to us and makes of Christ's work in the world a new redeemed and transfigured creation. What are these bonds of unity? Above all, charity binds everything together in perfect harmony. The unity of the church is assured by the bonds of communion the common celebration of worship, especially the sacraments. But charity is that which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So that's why we have, <coughs> excuse me, this wonderful collet from Quinn Quagesima, which calls charity the bond of peace and of all virtues. Thank you so much. And now with that, let's go to Q&A. Thank you. What's a relief?